African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. It's 11 o'clock Central African time. Welcome to it. This is yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You tuned into Channel Africa from the African Perspective. I'm your host, Asanda Mazzaunyane, and we are currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. On the program today, on this 11th of July, Tuesday, we look at the outcomes of the G20 summit, which was held in Hamburg, Germany, over the weekend. But first, we're going to get our news update with Tabi Soliho. Thanks, Asanda. Top stories at the Sawa. Algerian foreign minister calls for use of political means instead of military intervention to solve the crises in Syria and Libya. South Africa's trade union NUMSA to lead a march to the offices of the Zambian High Commission in the capital Pretoria in protest against the leadership of Zambian president. And Kenya conducts airstrikes near the border with Somalia to flesh out members of Al-Shabaab. Good morning. Algerian Foreign Minister Abdullah Aka, or rather Abdullah Kada Mesahal, has called for the use of political means instead of military intervention to solve the crises in Syria and Libya. He made the remarks on the sidelines of an international conference on the role of national reconciliation and moderation in the fight against terrorism held in Algiers. Mesahel says Algeria's national reconciliation policy played a decisive role in ending a decade of serious internal disorders and terrorist attacks in the 1990s. He believes this approach can be used to address other such conflicts. South Africa's trade union NUMSA is set to lead a march to the offices of the Zambian High Commission in the capital Pretoria to protest against the leadership of Zambian President Edgar Lungu. Numse is accusing Lungu of brutal dictatorship, saying he's willing to sacrifice the basic freedoms of his citizens to achieve absolute power. The South African Union has recommended three Zambian church formations that, that have spoken out against Lungu's leadership. Acting spokesperson at Numse, Pagamile Flubi. Zambians themselves are calling for an end to the tyranny, and it is time for the Patriotic Front and for Lungu to heed that call. Zambia holds a special place in our hearts for the support it gave us during the dark days of apartheid. It was once a haven for South Africans fleeing tyranny from the apartheid government. That is no longer the case. We invite all workers to join us as we picket and denounce the repressive Zambian regime. Kenya has conducted airstrikes in a forest near the border with Somalia to flush out members of the Al-Shabaab militant group. At least nine people were beheaded last week by the group in a village near Boni Forest, which stretches from the Kenyan coast into Somalia. Nelson Mara 
as Coast Regional Coordinator. Air strikes are ongoing. We must secure bony forest. It's going to be terrible. Government is going to do all it takes to ensure that bony belongs to Kenyans. Forensic investigators in South Africa are raising questions about the possibility of government or police involvement in the recent series of burglaries of state institutions. Security experts have called on government to declare a national emergency following a series of break-ins at offices of investigating and prosecuting authorities. The latest burglary at the offices of the National Prosecuting Authority in Pretoria is believed to be an inside job. It came after the offices of the Hawks also in Pretoria and those of the Chief Justice in Midrand were burgled. Forensic investigator David Clatso has burglaries rather says burglaries have left more questions than answers. When we see uh, burglaries of this nature of a politically sensitive area where there is no break-in, there seems to be a breach of security, the cards, the entry exit cards seem to be available to the criminals. One needs to really question whether or not there is government stroke police involvement in these crimes. A recap of the top stories at the Sawa. Algerian foreign minister calls for use of political means instead of military intervention to solve the crises in Syria and Libya. South Africa's trade union NUMSA to lead a march to the offices of the Zambian High Commission in the capital Pretoria in protest against leadership of Zambian president. And Kenya conducts airstrikes near the border with Somalia. Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu, hivi sasa, najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre de soleil. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Zochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's seven minutes past 11 Central African time. Welcome to African Dialogue. If you've just joined us, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Good morning. Now remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours. That's Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Channel Africa. We're also on Facebook or you can SMS your views to plus 2779-695-7930. If you want to email us, you can do so at at info at channelafrica.org and then if you are listening to us from America you can call us on 605-475-1711 so the business of today 
an agreement to fully implement the Paris Climate Change Accord and partnership with Africa are some of the key issues that were agreed on at the G20 summit in Hamburg, Germany. Despite the U.S. not in full support, it has agreed to work with others to reduce gas emissions. Leaders also agreed to recognize free trade and fight certain forms of protectionism. In the 14-page G20 Leaders Declaration released at the end of the two-day meeting, the G20 leaders have also agreed to work with African leaders to foster inclusive growth and create jobs for rural youth and women. They have launched the Africa Partnership Leaders, pledging to work with African countries to help realize the objectives of Agenda 2063 and its program for infrastructure development in Africa. To dissect these outcomes, we'll be joined by our guest uh, shortly. But before we get uh, get to that and and tackle the story, let's hear a report now by our political correspondent, Ndebo Mukobo, who attended the summit. It was a two-day meeting marked by heightened protest with over 210 police officers injured and at least 203 protesters arrested. And while police had run in battles with almost 100,000 anti-capitalism protesters on the streets, inside the summit venue, G20 leaders grappled with difficult issues confronting the world. This ranged from global trade to counter-terrorism and climate change. And after two days of marathon talks, a 14-page declaration was adopted, with the U.S. still non-committal on the Paris Agreement, Host German Chancellor Angela Merkel says despite their differences, they've managed to overcome a deadlock over climate change. Wherever there are differences in opinion, we shouldn't gloss over those um, differences. And this is the spirit uh, by which we were guided in our work. And I think the G20 were able to stabilize the world in one of the greatest crises of the world. And uh, we also say what was true then continues to hold. We can achieve more together than by acting alone. Speaking at the end of the summit, President Jacob Zuma said although not all leaders of the G20 countries agreed to the implementation of the Paris Climate Agreement, the meeting was a great success. The summit itself was very interesting this time, given the fact that there were issues that were raised, particularly by the United States. But I think the handling of the summit was very good because even where there would have been disagreements, but there was an understanding as to how do we express those. In other words, there was nowhere where we said we'll never do anything together, even where there were other opinions, but there was an agreement that we will be working together, including the United States. So I think, in a sense, that was an important achievement. G20 leaders have also launched the Africa partnership that will ensure growth for all and create jobs for the continent's youth. And President Zuma says he's happy that leaders of the most industrialized nations are now treating their African peers as equal partners. The impression was that some programs were being imposed on the continent, like what was earlier called the Marshall Plan, which was ignoring the Continental Plan of 2063. I think at the end there's been clear agreement that any program that would be developed will actually be supportive or will dovetail to the main program of the continent. So that, I think, to us has been again another important achievement. We are very happy also. There is a focus on rural youth for jobs. Again, G20 leaders are encouraged that the world economy is starting to rebound and they've since called for increased measures to maintain the momentum. At the end, Chancellor Angela Merkel handed over the G20 presidency to Argentinian President Mauricio Marchi, who will play host to the 2018 summit. I am Debo Mokobo Hambeg in Germany.
Uh, that was our political correspondent in Debo Mukobo. They're just giving us uh, his uh, overview of that G20 summit. So we joined on the line by Spoka Zimtati, who is Oxfam SA Executive Director to help dissect this topic. Uh, very good morning, Spokas. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Let's go straight to it. The G20 summit being two days, is this enough? Well, I mean, the issue for us is not about the amount of time. It is about the quality of decisions um, and, you know, commitments that, bold commitments that these leaders um, are able to make when they gather. So as far as we are concerned, it could have been an hour. But if they make important decisions for the world, seeing as, you know, they control global trade, for instance, then that would be sufficient. And in making those decisions, what we just heard there in terms of the African continent and, and South Africa uh, being the only African G20 member, President Zuma, you know, uh, touching on the fact that, you know, the programs that were or are supposed to be supporting the African continent should really just do that, support instead of impose uh, themselves on the, the continent. But, you know, if we talk about the, the continent of Africa and how it can be assisted by G20 countries, is this something that is achievable in your view, Spokas, in terms of the different, uh, you know, even problems that we, we face as the African continent in relation to the rest of the world? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, my, my response to that question, you know, is twofold, right? Hmm. I mean, on the one hand, we agree, we know, with the principle that if anybody you know, is coming into the continent with a good intention, you know, to complement and to kind of support an agenda that the, con- the continent has developed for itself, such as Agenda 2063, then of course that has to be supported and of course that has to be done, you know, within the guidelines that it's not imposed. Um, however, um, where we are at is that and I think as an African organization, because of South Africa, we're an African organization. We are very concerned about, you know, what we consider um, to be, in essence, a destruction. We believe very strongly that a continent that is not able to help itself cannot expect to be effectively assisted by others. There is, you know, major crisis in the continent right now, whether it's the four famines, um, you know, in East and West Africa and in the Horn, um, you know, or, you know, you know, there's other kind of crisis with, um, you know, our economy is not growing, um, or whether it's a crisis of kind of democracy that our, you know, leaders have created. And so, our view is that it's very, very important that, you know, the continent controls its own agenda and controls its, its development path. And, and, and so then it can determine the terms under which people who claim to have intentions to support it, um, you know, can, can do that without derailing us and taking us back to an era where, you know, trade and partnership with, with Africa, you know, was extractive and was about benefiting, you know, the West and the, and the rest, and, and not the people of the continent. And, uh, talk and so, mm-hmm. Go on. Yeah. So, 
So, I mean, it's very important that the continent is ready for what people are bringing to it. And right now, it is not our view that the continent is organized well enough and that the continent is united well enough, mm. even around the implementation of this ambitious agenda of 2063. And so, in a context like that, it can, you know, um, become a missed opportunity, you know, when others are coming and saying, um, you know, we want to help here and there, such as the, is the intention with the, uh, you know, African um, EU G20 Africa compact. South Africa is the only African G20 member. Does Pretoria champion African causes then, or is it predominantly served by self-interest? Because, I mean, there has been the the talk that uh, South Africa kind of distances itself from the continent uh, or maybe even takes a leadership role and and in certain aspects it finds itself being better off than other African uh, uh, countries. What's your view there? Yeah, I mean, for us, the litmus test of um, the extent to which South Africa champions, um, you know, the continent's um, interests is the way in which it is able to coordinate with, you know, the rest of the countries who are not represented in these bodies in the continent and is able to derive a kind of mandate um, and is able to insist on core principles, um, you know. And so I, I think that the jury is still out on that one. I got the opportunity, for instance, to attend the preparatory conference for the G20 you know, Africa um, summit and the, you know, where this partnership with Africa was discussed. And, you know, although it wasn't voiced as strongly enough, it's very clear um, that this um, partnership was not designed with the consultation with the continent and with a primary intention of ensuring that it adds value as opposed to distract the continent from its own agenda. And so it is a bit of a surprise that South Africa is kind of, you know, positively, you know, welcoming this, um, you know, um, compact or this partnership without any kind of criticism about the way in which it was designed, you know, um, in Europe for European um, private sectors without addressing how it is that a continent like ours that needs to grow its indigenous private sector is going to benefit, um, you know, from this. And without demanding, for instance, that, you know, the G20, who, um, you know, are some of the biggest culprits for, you know, in text dodging, you know, must commit to ensuring that money that belongs to this continent stays in this continent and is not shipped back to Europe. And so we would have expected you know, those issues which have been decided as priority by our African leaders, um, you know, would have come up from a country like South Africa, and that South Africa is not, you know, kind of sitting there feeling cozy about being a member of the G20 and, you know, sitting there looking at opportunities for itself. And so we believe that um, the, the question about whether South Africa truly represents um, you know, the, an African kind of, you know, agenda in the broadest possible sense um, is one that is more complex than the, what we hear through the rhetoric that South Africa, you know, um, repeats over and over again. 
Let's break down indigenous private sector that you mentioned, Spogazi. Would that be, you know, agriculture in the African con- uh, uh, concept or, or, or context? Would that be part of that? And I'm asking you because, uh, you know, one of the major things that emerged or, or that were, were one of the agreements about was the Paris Climate Change Accord and then the partnerships with Africa. If we talk about climate change, I mean, on the African continent, it's not necessarily the the main thing that is being focused on by our leaders, but yet in the global context, it's very much a thing. And then if we talk about partnership with Africa and, and taking into account those indigenous private sector and what we mean by that, it's very much structured around agriculture, or it sh- is, it, is it really uh, one of those things if we talk about ind- indigenous private sector? Well, first, I want to tackle the question of climate change and then build the argument to, you know, the link to the private sector in the continent. So the story with climate change is that our continent and the rest of the global south um, carry the largest, um, you know, amount of impact from climate change. Um, and yet we are least responsible for, you know, for the, you know, the climate change phenomenon. So it's very important that it's understood how important the climate agenda is for us because we are, you know, battling under the the pressure of the multiple impacts um, of climate change, whether it's about, you know, droughts right now, many countries in our continent are struggling with droughts, which um, has been proven to be directly linked, you know, to climate change. Um, and that is impacting the majority of our small-scale farmers who are no longer able um, and are having to adapt to climate-resilient agriculture. And so it's very, very important that we understand that. And and I think um, Rock Farm has been consistent in saying that the biggest politicians must pay the largest share of the, um, the climate finance that has been agreed through the Paris Agreement. However, we have not seen, um, you know, the big polluters, China, U.S., and Europe, you know, stepping to the plate and putting the money where their mouths are. And so they create a lot of hullabaloo about being committed to climate. And when it comes to putting the money where it's needed in order to support you know, small, our continent, small-scale farmers, for instance, the majority of whom are women, to be able to, you know, to have the inputs they need to adapt, then the money isn't there. And so we feel that there's a hypocrisy here. Now, to link that to the private sector, you are right that agriculture remains the single most important avenue for, for you know, um, you know, building um, a private sector in our continent, especially, you know, uh, climate-resilient agriculture. Um, it's very, very important, and we are seeing across the continent where we work that there's really very little, if any, support to these small-scale farmers who could be supported and boosted to become, you know, strong and resilient um, a, a part of the kind of country of a, an African private sector using, you know, um, a skill and an expertise that the continent already has and then building that. Mm. So there's a clear link um, there. 
of course, there are other, you know, industries that should be, you know, pursued, including renewable energy, where we need to democratize that agenda again and build a ground-up private sector as opposed to bringing in these kind of big, um, you know, industries largely from the West to take over our renewable agenda. And so there are many, many opportunities where the continent, you know, could build um, you know, based on its opportunities, both in agriculture, in renewable energy, um, and energy is an important, um, you know, lever of development in our continent. And so we would have liked to see, you know, investment in those areas, um, mm. but also invest, investment that, we, you know, builds a, a, a private sector, you know, from the ground up, as opposed to already supporting, you know, big industries and kind of, you know, parachuting um, companies from elsewhere without any kind of deliberate intention to make sure that if it's, you know, companies coming from elsewhere, it's about skills sharing and building capacity and a solidarity approach rather than extract and ship the money out Let's talk about that a bit more, those investments and what they actually do can mean for the the continent. Spokazam Tati is Oxfam SA Executive Director. You're listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa with me, Asanda Matsaunyane. 11.24 is our time, Central African. We're going to take a break. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. We have great news for you. Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. Welcome back to African Dialogue with me, Asanda Mazzaunyani, discussing the uh, G20 summit, which was held in Hamburg, Germany, with uh, Spoga Zimtati, who is Oxfam SA Executive Director. Remember, you can find us on Twitter if you'd like to interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. At Channel Africa is our handle. Find us on Facebook as well. Uh, and then you can also email info at channelafrica.org. Let's dwell more on the issue of investments coming into the continent, Spogazi. And I mean, if we look at uh, coming back to the issue of climate change and then how that relates to partnerships with Africa, we know the U.S. has been, you know, one of the biggest defaulters. Uh, The President Trump there wants to sell American fossil fuels. He's even, you know, uh, withdrawn himself or the country from the Paris Climate Change Accord. And then China and India being, you know, the the biggest coal users uh, and mineral uh, exports they're also being biggest uh, defaulters. So clearly the African continent is not really, the, you know, the, the, what, what, I want, want, what I would say are the ones who deserve to be blamed for climate change, but instead the rest of the world. Is it not then a case of the rest of the world, the big countries, the big economies, 
wanting to use Africa by saying we're coming in with investments, uh, but, you know, we know on the African continent that 60% of our land is, you know, unused, and that's arable land that can be used for agricultural purposes, as well as 80% of our population in the African continent uh, depends on agriculture to sustain themselves. So it's more of, you know, we are the natural people. Uh, We are the ones that are more, you know, kind of taking care of nature in, in that aspect. And then the rest of the world that has realized that they've now messed up the, you know, uh, gas emissions with the climate change and all of that are coming into saying, okay, well, will you invest in Africa? Uh, but there is co- sort of like a catch to it then. Are we not being used as the continent by the rest of the powers of the world? Yeah, I mean, my, our view is that um, the continent has got to insist on greater accountability um, when it comes to determining the terms of trade. So you are absolutely correct to say that, you know, as I've indicated before, the continent is the least polluter, um, yet carries the largest share of the impact of climate change. But the biggest polluters are the ones who are coming in and now kind of being both judge and jury, right? So, Mm. you know, they, you know, agree that they are polluters, you know, half-heartedly, but then they also, you know, determine how it is that they're going to be accountable for their pollution. And, you know, you can have a kind of a wild card like a Trump, you know, who comes in and completely, you know, um, tries to undermine a global compact around how it is that countries work together, um, you know, around, um, you know, climate. And, you know, while... You know, there were some murmurs at the G20 about, you know, oh, no, America must be isolated and stuff. America, you know, we don't see the consequence building for a country, you know, that comes in and says we're going to, you know, pull out of a global commitment that, and, and you know, and the global commitment in an issue where the country is accountable for some of, you know, the biggest pollution in the world. And so there needs to be consequences. But, I mean, in the context of, of the, and we feel that, I mean, this kind of approach of, like, you know, coming to dump, you know, um, ideas about how, you know, what needs to be done in the continent, you know, we've seen, you know, many such examples of where, you know, America is now holding entire regions because it wants to continue to dump, you know, its, um, you know, uh, second-hand clothes. Um, because of the Agoa agreement, we've also seen, you know, the situation in South Africa and other parts of the region with the chicken story. And so it is our view that, you know, many of the countries who are kind of wanting to trade with the continent are not coming, you know, with good intentions. And I think that their behavior consistently demonstrates that they treat the continent with disdain. Um, and that's why we feel very strongly that the continent has to organize itself and push back against these tendencies. I mean, you look at China, the way it treats the continent is shocking, right? That mm. they can come in, you know, and extract resources and then, you know, expect to not be held accountable, um, you know, for ensuring that it follows the, you know, the rules about, you know, creating opportunities for local people, you know, making sure that they are skilling local people, they ship their people. And so it is our view that the continent is being used. 
Um, and our major critique, particularly around this, you know, partnership with Africa, you know, has been that this is another, um, you know, and we've used strong words, neo-colonial instrument to make sure that we distract the continent and we sell pipe dreams. Because we know this is not going to deliver for the continent because the terms have already been determined. So Donald Trump, uh, and, and uh, this is like on a global level now, just moving a little bit away from the continent, but he's basically isolated himself on a lot of issues, and that's been, you know, making the headlines in, in all uh, media outlets. But also him, you know, and the U.S. Uh, deciding to pull out of the uh, Paris Climate uh, Agreement, you know, kind of didn't really stop the climate uh, change accord from going forward because then the, the 19 countries did still go ahead and, and uh, you know, prioritize it. So can we look at that then maybe as the world saying, finally, we are taking a stand. We understand the U.S. is a big world leader, but as, you know, the rest of the world, we can actually stand on our own and we don't need you, Trump. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think it's very, very important um, symbolically and otherwise that the other countries, you know, have reiterated their commitment to, you know, the Paris Agreement. Um, Like I said, we need more than words. We need to see the climate finance, um, you know, uh, being filled up. We need to see see them really, you know, transform, um, you know, their... Um, industries um, and, you know, polluting less. We need, you know, them to contribute to the carbon tax and all of those measures that we agreed. So it's more than words, but it is significant that they have reiterated um, and, you know, their commitment. And, and I do think that over time, if they, you know, step out up to the plate and kind of really um, you know, commit, then it will make it more difficult for America to kind of continue um, along the lines of its kind of climate destructive path. Um, and I do think that there needs to be a strategy that is more deliberate and, as, as I said before, consequent bu- consequence building because I think if it's going to, you know, we're going to accept that we can come together as kind of you know, countries agree on an agenda, on an issue that impacts, you know, many people, and then one country can decide they are pulling out, there has to be consequences more than just kind of verbal condemnation. And so we we are hoping that, you know, that will be the next step. Of course, the countries can do a lot and can achieve a lot because 19 countries is not nothing. But I do think that it needs to go beyond just, um, you know, kind of uh, verbal condemnation and isolation. There has to be consequences for America's choices. Discussing the G20 summit, which took place in, in Hamburg, Germany, we are talking to Spoga Zimtati here on African Dialogue. And we're now joined on the line by Davi Ruert, who is Chief Economist at Efficient Group. A very good uh, morning to you, Davi. Thanks for joining us. And my pleasure and good morning to you. Let's talk about your views on the G20 summit. And we've, we've spoken a lot about climate change. We've spoken yeah. a lot about partnerships with Africa. But maybe let's touch with you on uh, a different set of, uh, you know, some of the things that did emerge. Uh, counterterrorism wasn't, you know, something that we can say affects everybody equally, but it was one of the, the issues that, that uh, emanated. What are some of the important discussions at this year's G20? 
Well, I think it's important to understand the, the elephant in the room. And certainly the elephant in the room is a guy with orange hair uh, because he is really a quite a disrupting force at the moment. And whether you like the Americans or not, you have to speak to Trump. So I think that is the main issue here is that the, the world leaders are trying somehow uh, to know, uh, to understand how to work and how to talk to America going forward. So I think that is the main issue. Do you then think it became a distraction in, in a way, t- taking away from the G20? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, this is a distraction. Uh, I, in fact, I think there are many of these uh, big uh, uh, G20 leaders that if they had a choice, they certainly wouldn't have spoken to America. But the reality is that the U.S. economy is by far the biggest economy. It is by far the biggest army in the world, and you have to speak to the, to the Americans, and that, need, and that means that you need to speak to Trump. So without a doubt, this has been a distraction. But having said that, you know, these meetings, and I do follow it now, uh, and I try to follow the headlines more or less, but these meetings are mostly a bit of a talk shop because no, no significant. This is a, an opportunity for the world's leaders to to touch base, so to speak, and to discuss certain things like, for example, terrorism or the climate change or Africa. Uh, but usually, not very much come from this. Um, I think more importantly, it could be some other meetings where actual uh, agreements uh, are entered into in, in order to achieve something like, for example, the Paris Accord that we've seen. Uh, but this is pretty much a top shock, uh, and, and, and I don't know of any economist that put too much value on these sort of meetings. What would the role of the African Union and NEPAD be then in terms of making sure that this does not just become a talk shop, especially when it comes to the continent? Well, what, what the African Union needs to do is to make sure that Africa as an economy and that the whole continent performs well economically. And I think what we need to do is not to speak to, of course you need to speak to international leaders like the G20, but what we need to do is make sure that we fix the internal problems that we have in Africa. And I think a couple of things that we can do in Africa is to remove obstacles to trade in Africa, to establish strong institutions in Africa, like, for example, proper democracies, like, for example, the rule of law, like, for example, private property protection and the like. So I think certainly charity begins at home. And there's much that Africa can do to improve the local economic conditions. And then what will happen once we've got a vibrant economy going in Africa, uh, Africa will become much more attractive for foreign and local investors to invest in. So without a doubt, I think instead of going to the international, big international um, um, meetings like the G20, for example, start at home and make sure that you've, you've created an, an environment that's conducive to economic growth, certainly something that's not always present in Africa. 11.38 Central African time is our time here on African Dialogue and we're talking about the G20 summit with Spogazim Tati who's Oxfam SA Executive Director and Davi Ruert who's Chief Economist Efficient Group. Stay on the line uh, if you can, uh, the both of you. We will continue this chat. We're going to take a short break. I'm Asanda Matsaunyani. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective.
This is African Dialogue here on Channel Africa from the African Perspective. A good morning if you've just joined us talking about the G20 summit of uh, Germany that took place uh, in the past uh, weekend. Talking to Spoka Zimtati, Oxfam SA Executive Director and Davi Ruet, Chief Economist at Efficient Group. I'm Asanda Mazzaunyane. You can still uh, interact with us at Channel Africa is our handle on Twitter. So talking about obstacles to trade, uh, Davi, before we took our break, what would those obstacles be in the specific context of of Africa? Well, let's start with basics. I mean, I sent some, something from, from the east coast to the west coast in Africa by road, for example, and see the obstacles that you're going to encounter. There will be major obstacles by way of, for example, in infrastructure, major uh, infrastructural obstacles, but there are many other man-made obstacles. Mm. You will be held, uh, held over at, uh, at border posts, you will be stopped at roadblocks, you will need to pay bribes and the like. And quite often, if something goes wrong, you can't go to a court to enforce a contract, as an example. So that is a practical example. Make sure it's easy to transport stuff between uh, various countries within Africa. And secondly, what is also important, and this is perhaps even more important, is make sure that some of the other institutions are well established and respected and actually functioning well. A very good example is the independence of the of the judiciary, which is not always respected in many countries in Africa, mm-hmm. and and the fact that it's very difficult to enforce contracts. If somebody buys a property, if somebody in Africa buys a property in another African country, as an example, and for whatever reason you can't take possession of this property, what do you do? Can you actually approach the court? Does it work effectively and efficiently? Efficiently, and can you enforce your private property rights? As an example, those are the kind of things that we need to address first in Africa. Remember, the G20, Africa is around about two, three percent of the world's. Um, Economy. Africa is actually a tiny economy compared to the really big ones, like the Chinese or the United States. They are there for their for their own business. They are they will be looking after their own interests. Mm-hmm. Of course, they will be talking about to Africa, and they consider Africa certainly as a strategic partner, or strategically very important. Africa's got all these minerals. Africa certainly is a, a young and a potentially a very large market. But their first priority will be with their own economies. And we as Africans need to realize and, and accept the reality that if we want to become wealthy, like many other countries in the world, we better start looking after ourselves. And that simply means to create an environment that's easier to do business. Spokazi, also uh, emerging from the summit uh, was the agreement on the goal of improving labor force participation uh, among women and reducing the gap that still exists in this respect between men and women. Uh, the agreement was that uh, it should be 25% by 2025. Is this issue uh, an issue that can be put on the table equally for all yeah, nations? I mean, yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely. I mean, we know, um, again, as Oxfam, because we work in you know, the rest of the world as well as, you know, in 36 African countries, that, of course, the world's got a big agenda in terms of, um, you know, gender equality, um, you know, both addressing the issues uh, from a you know, labor force perspective, but also more generally, even things as basic as, you know, equal pay for equal work um, is still a huge issue, not just in our continent, but across the world. So certainly, and I mean, this issue is, um, you know, um, a key component of the, you know, SDGs. And so it's clearly been identified as priority. And so, you know, it should feature, you know, in every conversation and in every kind of, um, you know, arrangement or plan. 
But, I mean, in the kind of context of the African continent, this issue is very, very important to think strategically about. We know that in our continent, the majority of women are active in what is called the informal economy. Um, and so what part in order to kind of, um, you know, include, um, you know, women in the labor force, we need to transform our economies and we need to address this issue, you know, of parallel economies and we need to, you know, um, I guess follow our own kind of, um, you know, plans where we say how do we build and transform our economies from the bottom up where we look at what are the capabilities that women already have and how do we facilitate that they can enter into the more formal market and so that they can it's, it's got to be it's, to formal. it's got to be a unique <laughs> approach on the continent i am running out of time i just want to get davi in as uh, the effect that the g20 will have on BRICS, davi what is it if they will be well yes unfortunately it seems as if this uh, BRICS idea has faltered a little bit the last two, three years, and at least because many of these BRICS countries, like, for example, the Russians and the South Africans, even the Brazilians, uh, uh, the economies are, in fact, in the recession in many instances. So I don't think there will be much of an impact on that, on the, on the so-called BRICS countries. But I think the responsibility, exactly the same as with Africa, if we want BRICS uh, club to succeed, it is our responsibility to strengthen it even further. It seems to me as if the emphasis has moved a bit away a little bit from where we, we saw it, say, five years or so ago, when BRICS was, was all the right. It's not the case anymore, unfortunately. And when we talk of investments and just, you know, trying to fix the, the, the sins of the past, so to speak, should yeah. taxpayers then ever again have to foot the bill for, for bailing out financial market participants in the case of no. the continent, like, you know, what we, we're currently seeing in South Africa with state-owned companies? Yeah, no, certainly not. No, we must leave that to the, fund, to the, to the, to the market. If a state-owned enterprise, and we have many examples in South Africa, they simply cannot compete, uh, then they simply have to go under. I'm afraid the taxpayer in South Africa is totally, totally overburdened, and the taxpayer simply cannot afford these sort of grant projects anymore. But the taxpayer is overburdened, and it's already impacting quite negatively on the economy. So what seems to be the theme, I mean, in our discussion is, you know, African solutions for Africa coming from the continent. Spokazi, your closing remarks. Well, my closing yeah. remarks will certainly be, if we um, really want uh, Africa to succeed, we have to, un, un, uh, 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 to, to remove the obstacles in the way of economic growth. That's the first step. Stop helping the, the private sector. Just stop hindering the private sector from doing what they can do. Okay. Yours, Pogazi? Um, closing remarks. Um, the continent has a lot of, um, you know, vision. It doesn't lack vision. The continent has all that it needs. Um, to, you know, uh, develop itself. Um, I do agree that um, the continent has got to own its own agenda and has to play on its own strengths and has got to be very clear that it and has to have strategies for engaging with others because we've seen across the board that often the continent is caught with its pants off where, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a strategy effectively for how it's going to trade how it's going to control entry into its own market. Um, and even things like, you know, inter-Africa trade, which is one of our biggest opportunities, um, you know, we are not moving fast enough with that. 
um, and there are regions like ECOWAS, for instance, that are showing us the way that you can do this. You can open up the borders to facilitate tra- uh, trade. Yeah, okay, we but are out of time. Bold enough. Let's leave it there, Spogazi. Thank you so much to the both of you for your time. We have to, uh, yeah, leave it there. We are out of time. Spogazi Mtati, Oxfam XA, uh, Executive Director, and Davi Ruet, Chief Economist at Efficient Group. It's 11.47 Central African time. That uh, means it's economics news with Wisani Matebula.